0: that's going on and just catching up and seeing <clears throat> seeing some new faces, old faces and beautiful faces here so we're so glad to uh, all be together in this place on such a beautiful day for uh, our children to have for VBS I mean I don't think you could have asked for a better, better day than today. At the same time, our, our hearts um, are heavy this morning. Um, as uh, many of you have probably heard about the uh, two shootings that have happened, the mass shootings that have happened um, in our country, one in El Paso and one in Dayton, and uh, it's a reminder that um, peace of Christ is what we need in our country. Um, you know, the, we can always talk about the, the root causes of why things happen. Um, but I, I was, uh, just as a side note, I was uh, doing some yard work yesterday, and we have some bushes in our backyard that um, were old and dying on the surface. Uh, they were kind of, the leaves were brown and were dried up, and uh, you know, we decided those bushes needed to go. And so they're not big bushes, they're small bushes, but our, my initial attempts to dig these bushes up Uh, was met with a a lot of resistance because you actually have to dig very deep down into the ground and loosen up the roots. And the more you pry up that bush, even if you have a heavy shovel, it's so hard. My my body's feeling a little bit sore from just pushing that shovel down and trying to dig those bushes up because those roots go deep. And so the roots of the problems that we face in this country, we may... We may look at the surface and we may think we understand what the causes are. But at the end of the day, the causes are truly the fact that we need Jesus. This country needs Jesus. And so I'm reminded of that. And, but I'm so happy that he has provided that answer for us. And I'm so happy that on on. A day like today that we can still look to Him and that we still have hope in Him. And perhaps you might be here today and you're in that similar situation where you're looking for hope. You can certainly find that this morning. Uh, We are in the midst of a series in the book of Acts where we are talking through what the church is doing in terms of the mission of God. And... uh, this mission of God is not something that we should look at and simply read off of the pages of a book as, in terms of history, but uh, you and I, in many ways, we are truly participants in this mission. And so when we, when we talk through and we look at Scripture and we, we discuss what God's Word is telling us, we should always look at it from that lens, is that you and I are participants in this mission. So we are in Acts chapter 10. To kind of give us a little bit of something to think about before we jump right in, um, the title of the message is, The Gospel Reaches Beyond Expectations. And we'll find that um, that is very true in, in this case, that the gospel reaches beyond our expectations. But to get us thinking about this, I want to take your minds back to, oh, about 12 years ago. Um, Something momentous happened in the technological world, in the world of phones. Uh, 2007, I think, around the middle of the year, there's a momentous thing that happened in the world of cell phones. It was Apple introducing the iPhone. And if you can think back at that time, do you remember uh, the big campaign marketing slogan was, this changes everything, right? Uh, when uh, Steve Jobs gave his speech to introduce the iPhone, that wasn't his, his exact quote, but he basically says that that uh, every once in a while things come along that really changes everything. So the world took notice. Everyone except the people at BlackBerry. If you remember BlackBerry, how many of you have ever, ever had a BlackBerry phone? Okay. So the executives at BlackBerry they heard this message as well, but Their take was a little bit different. They said, we'll be fine. They heard all the great things that Steve Jobs and Apple were doing, and in fact, the CEO was the one who was gathering all the information and telling his executives, this is what they're doing, do you see? But someone in the company, the executives were saying, yeah, we, we see it, but we'll be fine. So that theme is going to be very important. So there's going to be a group of people that say, this changes everything. But then there will always be some people that say, yeah, but we'll be fine. And so in Acts chapter 10, we we will see the circumstance behind this. And so what I want to speak about, the main idea is that the gospel mission involves all of us in amazing ways. The gospel mission involves all of us in amazing ways because it's through different life experiences that God designs us to connect with others by connecting us through the gospel. It's at this point of connection where we realize the truth that God has invited all the nations to receive forgiveness and new life. That is the theme of this chapter. However, even if... All the nations are invited. Some have only heard about it. And some have only lived and experienced it. At the end of the day, it's God's desire that all would experience the power of the gospel. So we'll talk a little bit. uh, The chapter is long. Um, I'm going to hit a few highlights of the beginning part of the chapter. Um, But in terms of God showing us And working with us through different life experiences, Um, the first part of the chapter 10, verses 1 to 23, God is placing the pieces on the board. If you look at God, think of him as, as this grand master chess player. When he brings about his plan for the nations, he's placing these pieces on the board. Two important pieces that he begins with are Cornelius and Peter. In chapter 10, verses 1 to 8, we see that Cornelius is dramatically encountering an angel. Now, Cornelius is a centurion. A centurion was someone who commanded up to 100 soldiers, which is really about 10% of the Roman auxiliary army. Not, not, Not a huge group, but he was, in fact, someone who commanded them. Cornelius was also a Gentile, and a Gentile... Uh, was a non-Jewish person, but he wasn't just any ordinary Gentile. He was a very devout Gentile who practiced the Jewish faith. He did everything he could. Somehow along the way, his exposure to Judaism greatly influenced him. So he was a praying man. He was a man who gave to the poor. He was a man who honored God and believed in in the monotheistic worldview. And so a messenger of God, an angel, visits him at the ninth hour, which is basically 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and calls out to him, Cornelius. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're sitting at your home at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and all of a sudden you, you see a vision of an angel, clearly. You're not just got something in your eye or anything, but you see an angel, and the angel calls your name, you're going to be terrified. You're going to wonder what's happening. That's exactly what happened to Cornelius. Terrified. But notice what he does. He, he doesn't run away in fear. He, simply like a good trained soldier would be, stands to attention and, and says, What is it, Lord? What is it? And it's at that point that I think that we can pause and, and, and just take a minute to think about what that means when the voice of God speaks into your life in subtle ways and maybe not so subtle ways, how do we respond? Do we, do we often say sometimes, God, okay, you know, because I don't know, Cornelius was a man who was probably busy. He's a commander of 100 people, right? But in his day, in the course of his day, he stops. He says, what is it? How many times in our lives have we come across situations where God is trying to speak to you through your situations to get your attention, and he's waiting for you to say, what is it, God? What are you trying to tell me? I'm at attention. Here I am. And so the the angel goes on to say to him that his devotion is regarded as a memorial offering, which is to say an offering made in remembrance of his past blessings, See, God recognized his devotion to Judaism. God recognized that, but he isn't stopping there. Why is he saying it's, a, it's like a memorial offering? He's saying that because he's, he's wanting Cornelius to see that what you've done in the past, yes, it was honoring to me, but I've got something greater for you in the future. And he goes on to tell him, there is a man in, in uh, Joppa. His name is Peter. Called his name is Simon. Called Peter, go find him, bring him to your house. And so Cornelius responds to that invitation to hear and receive a blessing. That's that's really so important because we as people, there might be many of us who consider ourselves very devout. In our religion, in, our, in the way we conduct our lives, we might consider ourselves people that pray, people that give to the poor, people that give freely, are generous. All of these things are very good. Um, but what we're looking at is, is not necessarily an affirmation of just our moral behavior as the end end result. There's so much more that is coming. So the question that God is speaking to us today is are we looking at our past blessings, our past ability to live for God and simply saying, is this enough? Or do we hear God's voice calling out to us, inviting us? There is more to this, this message of salvation, this blessing that's coming. Do you recognize God's voice in your life at key moments Calling you to him. I can't look into your soul. I can't look into your life. I don't have special contact lenses to do that. But the Spirit of God is, is searching and looking and he's seeing. So that's Cornelius, that piece on the chessboard. There's another piece, and it's with Peter. Peter struggles to understand the Lord in verses 9 to 23. Now, in order to understand this, we have to go back to chapter 9, towards the end of chapter 9, to understand why God is placing Peter in this situation. Peter, if you can remember, and as we've been learning, the, the church, after a time of persecution, has been kind of scattered in different places, and Peter is one of those people that are scattered. He's going from place to place, but the church is experiencing growth. The church is experiencing the move of his spirit, uh, move of God's spirit, and people are getting added to the church. And so Peter is going to different places. He's in Joppa. Uh, He's in Joppa at at a person called Simon's house. Now, Simon is a tanner. Joppa is a city on the port. It's by the sea. And as a tanner, he's someone who is responsible for taking... Dead animal skins and dyeing them and preparing them to be made into leather. Now, think about this picture. Peter grew up as a Jew, very devout himself, came to know Jesus, so he's a messianic Jew in that sense, but he's still in a house where there's dead animals, carcasses, dead skins around. What's wrong with that picture? There's a lot wrong with that picture. Because you you would not find a Jewish person in a place like that because it is considered ceremonially unclean to be around dead dead animals. And and Simon the Tanner, he is a member of this church. He's a member of the household, the kingdom of God. That's, That's why Peter knows him, and Peter's staying at his house. But at the same time, Simon the Tanner is kind of regarded in a little different light. He's a little bit lower than, than the other, the, the, the pure Jews. Even the ones who are Christians review, uh, view Simon, Simon the Tanner as this, oh, he's unclean. He's not quite up to par. But Peter's at his house. Does Peter recognize why he's there? Could you be in a place in your life where God is trying to help you see Beyond your circumstance and prepare you for some greater mission impact. Peter spends, the word says, Peter spends a lot of time, many days at Simon the Tanner's house. Can you imagine the stench? Dead animals. Are you in a position in your life today where you smell things around you? doesn't smell so rosy? The perspective, the view of your life is not so rosy? That's what Peter was in. He was in that that type of situation. So if he's like us and he's in this situation, he's going to take opportunities to go to the roof, the housetop, and pray. Why? Because the bottom level of this house is where all the dead animals are, where all the Skin and leather making is happening. So Peter goes up to the roof. And, uh, and uh, as with any, many of us, Peter gets hungry. And so when he gets hungry, he calls down to whoever's in the kitchen at the house and says, I'm hungry. Make me something to eat. And of course, they don't have microwaves and they don't have instant, instant food. So he's going to have to wait. So here's Peter waiting for his food. Okay. I'm hungry, I'm thinking about food. What happens next? I fall into a trance, a dream. And what does God use to speak to him about in this dream? Food. Food. Now, I don't know, usually what happens is you eat something that you probably shouldn't have eaten, and then that starts talking to you in your dreams, right? This is actually before he's eaten anything. And God's talking to him. He sees this this, in his dream, this sheet being lowered by its four corners. And as it's being lowered, he can see that there are animals in this sheet. There are clean animals and unclean animals, reptiles, birds, things that, you know, you would kill and eat. And so what does God tell him in this dream? Peter, get up, kill Eat of whatever's in this sheet. And then Peter's like, what? Are you kidding me? You want me to kill a snake and eat it? You want me to kill what's in this? No, no, God, no way. There's no way I can do that. I I, I am, I'm not that type of person. It goes completely. It's against my religion to do that. But God tells them, no. Very important thing he tells them, What I have called clean, don't call clean. Unclean or common. Notice he's not telling Peter it's okay to eat unclean. He's telling Peter, don't call unclean what I have deemed and I have called clean. This happens three times. Three times he sees these animals. The number three seems to be a very important number for Peter, right? What do we know about Peter in the number of three? He denied Jesus three times. He was reinstated by Christ three times. And now we see Peter in this situation again, three times. But finally, you know, he's, he, he wakes up from that trance and he's perplexed. And he's perplexed and he's wondering about what happened. Um, and that's what God continues to work with him. I, I think it's important. Maybe Peter, during his perplexion, was thinking about what Jesus told him and the disciples In John chapter 15, verse 3, when he says, Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. As Christians, we sometimes have difficulty understanding the difference between the flesh and the spirit, right? Especially when we're hungry, right? We're in our flesh. We may not understand the spiritual significance of things that are happening because we tend to look at situations and circumstances through the eyes of the flesh, Our natural man, we're not understanding. Do we recognize when our own religiosity, our own devotion, our own flesh hinders God's mission? See, we're talking about God's mission, which is broader than what we expect. Whenever God's mission, which is broader than what we expect, is presented to us, there's a natural tendency within us to resist and say, well, God, I'm not used to thinking in those terms because of our own idea of devotion and our own idea of being religious. But I'm glad that God continues to work with him. His timing, while Peter was perplexed and pondering about this, the men from Caesarea are coming. They've, came, they've come to this house and that's when the Spirit confirms with Peter that they are sent by God. So it was the Spirit that needed to speak into Peter's life and say, Hey, these men are come. You can believe them. You can trust and go with them. And then Peter, I think, very very clearly says, Okay, God, I hear you talking to me. I'm going to Listen. And so the men stay at the house because it's a long journey. They spend the night and they get ready to go and it takes them a couple of days to get back. But those are the two pieces that God is preparing. On the one hand, he's preparing a Cornelius by by meeting him, by encountering him and preparing him. And also Peter, by also preparing him. And now God is moving these two pieces on this chessboard. How does he move them? Well, we can see that in verses 24 to 33. God moving the pieces toward the goal. Peter goes to Caesarea with Cornelius' men, back to Cornelius' house, where Cornelius and his family and friends are waiting. Now, <clears throat> scripture says uh, Cornelius wants to bow and he wants to revere Peter because God told him, This is the man. Who's going to tell you about salvation so Cornelius wants to do that but Peter says no I'm just a man don't bow down to me and so Peter points out something very very crucial that he recognizes Peter says now you know I'm a Jew I'm coming into your house a Gentile do you know how awkward that is that never happens For a Jew to enter a Gentile's house, why? Because they have food is ceremonially unclean. They don't associate with Jews because they are considered unclean. And so for Peter to recognize that and still go in, still go in and meet with them, still talk with them, God's doing something in Peter. But he asks the question why was I invited? And finds out he's been given an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. He's been given an opportunity to say, this is what this Jesus movement has been about. And it's very, very important for us to to recognize this because I, I can imagine Peter, a lot of things going through his mind. Again, was there, you know, Jesus told the disciples, he said, you know, it's not what goes into your a mouth that makes you unclean. The words that I spoke to you about the truth is what cleanses you. But he also told them in Matthew eight eleven, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's a great truth that Jesus is revealing to his disciples because of why he said that. If you remember in Matthew 8, Jesus says this after meeting a centurion of great faith. Remember, you read about the story about the centurion who says, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house because I believe your word to heal my servant. And that's what happened. Jesus sent the word and the healing took place. So Jesus is saying, he's, you know, in this passage, he says, I've never seen anybody with such great faith. But what he says next is so important because he says essentially that everyone, many from east and west, will recline at the same table that the Jews, the children of Israel, are sitting at. Jesus gave his followers a glimpse of the kingdom of God, that it wasn't just for the chosen people of Israel that many would come. That's what God wants to do with us and through us by connecting us through the gospel. See how the gospel can connect us in very powerful ways. And so that's where we come to our main passage. And and we're going to stand up together and read this, these verses 34 to 43, and understand how we are connected through the gospel. So stand with me. Let's read it. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You may be seated. What you did right then and there was you participated in the evangelistic message that Peter preached and shared to Cornelius and his household. You were just an evangelist, so I can call you evangelists. You preach the Word, and that's the power of the gospel connecting us together because we see in verses 34 and 35 that God invites all nations. This is groundbreaking, truly groundbreaking because He's saying anyone who fears Him and does what is right, God is not excluding anybody based on their ethnicity, based on their race. It is mind-blowing to the Jewish people at that time because how could God do this? How could God say that those who are ceremonially unclean are part of this mission and are invited to dine with the children of Israel? How could that be? Those who seek him from any nation are welcome. And it reminds us that we we look at a very familiar verse in John 3.16 when it says, whoever believes in him. Do we really underline that word, whoever, and truly understand that it is all-encompassing? No matter our background, no matter where we come from, our upbringing, our pedigree, It is truly anyone. Not only are you welcome, but if you seek him, you will find him. That's what Jesus taught and preached as well. So surely enough, someone like Cornelius, who is literally taking the steps to seek out God, is included in this mission. And those of you who might be here today, who are here because you're simply You were simply reminded by God that I've got to be here for some reason. I've got to be in this place because something's tugging at my heart and my life, and I'm here. That's the Spirit calling to you and reaching out and saying, come on. In verses 36 and 38, while God invites all the nations, some have only heard about it. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news, when Peter describes this, he's, he's making this point to Cornelius and his household. He says, you Gentiles, you're the ones who have heard about everything that has happened in this area, in this region. You've heard about the stories that Jesus did. Jesus walked around healing people, raising people from the dead. You yourselves know what happened. And so while Israel was the chosen people, to be the recipient of the good news of peace. Now, God could have used any province of the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire was vast. God chose Israel. The Gentiles know how the gospel was proclaimed by Jesus. And so Peter is affirming this. He's, He's in their faces and saying, You know, you've heard. There are some people that might be here that have heard the good news of Jesus all your life. You've heard about what God is doing in and around you. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe, maybe you've heard of how God is moving and working in people's lives. And you might be feeling, well, sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. I, I wish that that God could work in my life in those miraculous ways. Some have heard, do you remember those times that you heard about God being at work? What Peter's doing is he's reinforcing and bringing to mind those events God was using to get their attention. Some have only heard about it. Some have have seen it in action. So when Peter describes in verses 39 to 43, he says, we are witnesses of all he did. We were there. We were there. Because we were there, we've been commissioned to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God. So Peter is saying, yes, everything you heard about Christ, everything you know about what he's done, it's true. And we've been called to preach it. Peter confirms this by the power of his personal witness. One of the reasons why we value God's stories being shared in our community, in our church, is because of the power of personal witness. The power for you and I to say, this is how God has been working in my life. This isn't just me conveying events and circumstances and telling you what happened, but there is true power when we share what God is actually doing in us and through us and how He is changing our lives, how He's transforming us, the power of the personal witness. So Israel has been chosen to bear the message to the people, and the prophets also agree that forgiveness of sins is achievable. Those of us who have, been, who have seen God's power at work, we are also witnesses to share with others what God is doing, what God has done. That's our church's message. Redeemer Life's message is the unwavering grace and truth found in Christ alone. So in a way, we are the modern church prophetic voice to this nation, to this community, for our generation, do we see ourselves like that? Some of us have maybe heard about it. Some of us have maybe seen the gospel in action. But now it's time for us to do something about it. We can't be people that are merely hearers. We can't be people that have merely seen what God has done in our lives and sit sit silent and not act and not allow the gospel and its transforming power to work in our lives. No matter where we go, whether it's in the middle of Nebraska or where God has called us to go, where God has called us to be for those of us remaining here, God's desire is for all of us to experience the gospel. And so, the great news that God and His gospel is open to all the nations, it's eye-opening for us, yes. And our church, I think, better than most churches, represents that great truth. Look, look, Look around you. Look around you. Look at the diversity represented in our church. We represent what God started in Peter and Cornelius and the church so many years ago. We represent that. But what are we as a church going to do? One thing is that if it hasn't happened, it hasn't started in our lives, that we must be transformed by the gospel personally. It's not enough for you to hear it, It's not enough for you to just see it in action. Does the gospel change you? Has it transformed your life? Because once it transforms us, then we are able to embody the hope of the gospel for all nations. There are Corneliuses sitting in our midst. Why? Because none of us sitting here We were not the chosen people. God didn't choose to to work through our ethnicities and bring about salvation. We are benefactors of the fact that God chose multi-ethnicity to share his gospel in this world. All of us sitting here, do we embody the hope of the gospel in that way? That is and has been and will continue to be the heartbeat of Redeemer life. No matter else what happens in and through our church, and it's our prayer that no matter what else happens in and through our lives, that heartbeat needs to happen continually. We are planted in Vernon Hills, not not for any other reason except God knows exactly what He's doing by planting us here. God knows exactly what He's doing by choosing you to be here, to be a part of this church in this community. It's my prayer that God raises us up, that God raises more people like the Corneliuses and the Peters of the world that share and recognize God's work what he's doing in and through us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the continuing mission of God is powerful even thousands of years after the events between Peter and Cornelius. You moved mightily, God, in such a way that we may take it for granted what happened, That we know that Cornelius being one of the first converts to Christianity, you worked through him, that your gospel would be spread throughout all the world. And so we Many, many years down the road, God, we commit ourselves as a church, as a people, to be a people on mission, to be a people that carry your gospel forward, to recognize that you are God that doesn't show partiality, especially at a time like this, God, where circumstances around us cause us to question race and ethnicity. God, you are God who restores us. You are God that reminds us that we all need your healing touch, that we all need your forgiveness, that we all need to be transformed by the gospel. So I just pray, God, that there Are any one of us that are here that continue to ride the fence of what you're trying to tell us, God? You've been reaching into our lives and speaking to us for so long, perhaps. And though we try to run away, though we try to ignore your voice, you keep calling us. Help us to recognize that that invitation, that call and come back to you to be changed altogether. So I pray that as we spend these few moments in prayer, that your spirit would continue to speak into our lives and remind us of your great mission in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.